Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. Today, I'm joined by our CEO, Brian Choi, and we welcome Martin Weedman, the Gellert Family Professor in Food Safety and Food Science at Cornell University, to discuss the enterprise risks food safety can represent for a food company and what the price could be if you don't take it seriously. But before we get started, I'd like to ask all of our listeners today to share this episode with their friends and family. It's a huge help to us, and I wanted to thank everyone who's done so before. And if you're new to the podcast, please like, comment, and share as it extends our reach, and we really appreciate it when you do so. So welcome to the show, Professor Weedman, and just want to ask how you're doing today. Good. How about you? Oh, we're doing well. And I think to start things off, I think our audience could probably benefit with just getting a little bit of a background on you. So could you share your background, your field of expertise, and your current role at Cornell? Happy to. So I'm the Gallant Family Professor of Food Safety at Cornell's College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. I'm actually trained as a veterinarian, so my first degree is a veterinary degree from the Ludwig Maximilians University in Munich, Germany, where I grew up. I subsequently got a PhD in food science from Cornell University, and I've been running my own research program there for a little bit more than 20 years. So this research program focuses on how bacteria or microbes that can cause foodborne illness, as well as those that can cause food spoilage are transmitted all the way from what we call primary production, so farms, and whether that's a dairy farm, a beef cattle farm, or a produce farm, to the final consumer. And then how to translate that knowledge to reducing microbial food spoilage and reducing microbial food safety issues. So we you know, touch the whole production chain beginning to end and with many different aspects related to microbes, food safety, and food spoilage. All right, perfect. So it seems like you're the man for today's discussion. And before we really drop fully into, you know, the enterprise risk management issues, I think it would be useful to also just kind of talk about the current state of food safety, both in the U.S. and on the global sphere. So could you give us a little bit of a background on where you think food safety is in the food industry, you know, today? Happily. So, you know, I think people often think, well, the U.S. has the safest food supply in the world. And Let's start out with that as, you know, there's no evidence to that really, and I actually seriously doubt it. I think it's probably a country like Iceland or Norway because, you know, cold temperature, small population help with that. So what is the state? Right now in the U.S., the estimates are that about 50 million cases of foodborne illness a year. That's a staggering number. That's about one in six people. Now, a lot of people say, okay, that sounds fine, but it's usually just vomiting and diarrhea. That's not okay. No, it's correct. About more than 100,000 of those, about 120, 130,000 result in hospitalization. And every year, about 3,000 people die because of foodborne illnesses. So there are a number of them that are, are pretty severe and severe enough to kill people. So that's it on the, you know, the public health side, the human side. Um, on the business side, there's significant impacts of food safety um, due to recalls, where you know, product is found contaminated, has to recall, and the average cost of a recall for a company is 10 to $15 million. That's significant, that's substantial, all the way to where it gets worse to um, outbreaks, so where food is actually shown to make people sick, make multiple people sick, where it can end up to a CEO ending up in prison. And we've seen that. So, so it is a whole range of, of impacts on businesses. Now, a lot of food companies or listeners from food companies say, well, Martin, that doesn't pass the common sense test. You know, we haven't had a recall in the last five years. If it's one out of six people, why do we not see more problems? You need to remember that many of these cases of foodborne illnesses are not traced back to a product. We know it's a foodborne disease outbreak, 
but we don't know whether it was company X or Y, and therefore we can't trace it back. And the business does not feel the impact. But that's changing. The tools are getting better, and trace back to companies are getting better. So the business risk is actually increasing. Um, in some cases, we today are about 20 times better at detecting coupon disease outbreaks than we were 20 years ago. So really the business risk associated with food safety because of these technologies is, is substantially increasing. Now just a you know, brief word on the worldwide. Worldwide impact estimate is about 600 million cases of coupon illness. That's probably an underestimation. 420,000 deaths a year, that's really substantial. And what's maybe most concerning is that more than 30% of these deaths are in children under the age of five. All right. So, you know, with that overview in place, maybe we could talk a little bit about enterprise risk management or ERM. Uh, what are the reasons why food safety should be included as part of a company's ERM program? Great question. And let's start out with, you know, not every food company probably will have at the end of the day include food safety as an enterprise risk that's high enough on the list. Most of them will. You know, the exceptions might be a company that makes canned foods, for example, and exclusively makes canned food. It may or may not rise to that level. But why should it be there? Well, because it has the potential for huge you know, impacts on the balance sheet of a company. We talked about $15 million, $15 million recall. That's going to be a significant impact on your balance sheet for most companies. And we've seen a number of companies that went bankrupt after food safety issues. So absolutely, it should be on the list because of that significant financial impact. And why else should it be on the list is to make sure it gets the appropriate resources. Right now, you know, food safety is often seen and jokingly called sort of the, you know, it's a cost center. The worst case I've heard is sort of the prevention, the profit prevention program is my food safety program. That's not, you know, with that attitude, food safety may not get the appropriate resources. And it may sound like I'm advocating for food safety specifically. I'm advocating for making sure companies assign proper resources to manage the different risks according to what they deserve. And I think that's the important part. At the end of the day, you know, maybe food safety ends up as number one, maybe it ends up as number nine or 12. And that will be different from company to company. But I'm advocating for a, a rational, well-thought-out process to assess the, the potential impact on the balance sheet of food safety and then give it the proper resources to manage and minimize that risk. So most of the companies that I deal with, you know, when you talk about food safety, it doesn't really, like you said, it doesn't really come up as a, a top issue. So if you were to estimate, you know, what percentage of companies actually you know, have a food safety uh, analysis as part of the ERM, what would you guess would be, let's see, let's focus on the U.S. Like, you know, we're talking 5%, 10%. I think for most of the big ones, it shows up on their enterprise risk management, right? So with that, I'm going to guess maybe 50% of the big ones. As soon as you move down from the really big ones, it's going to be less and less. Now, remember, any publicly traded company must manage enterprise risk. Risk. They must have enterprise risk management plans. Um, sometimes it may show up there, but probably wasn't assessed correctly. And sometimes it may have been assessed correctly. But I think it's, it's still by and large in the infancy in terms of how we incorporate food safety and make it part of our enterprise risk management plans. I've talked to a really big company not too long ago, and they, would, they said, yeah, we just get into it. And we're not talking, we're talking big multinational company, and they're just, we're just getting to that stage. 
Now, that's a big, not publicly traded company. Okay? Uh, publicly traded, it look, probably looks better. But then the other hand, you know, am I going to get what's really happening, right? If someone says, hey, is food safety and enterprise risk for you? You're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. What are you going to tell me, right? You're going to say yes. Whether it really is on the internet, I don't know. I'm not in the boardroom. I hope it is. But if it isn't and someone gets a direct question, it'll probably always say yes, right? Because you couldn't say no. Let's be honest. Uh, so what's the best way to get the C-suite to focus on this type of integration into ERM? Dollars. I think we need to quantify food safety. If that's what it is. And I think, you know, I'm at a university and I say it's a failure of, of our educational system in food safety. We're not training our food safety people to talk ERM, return on investment, really put this into a balance sheet risk and put a dollar number on it. The food safety professionals need to put numbers on it and need to learn how to present it to the CEO in, you know, five minutes, here's what it is. And the CEO needs to demand from his or her food safety team that they can put it into numbers and, and have those estimates. You know, I think food safety professionals tend to be really hardcore sort of introverted scientists. And they're always like, but I don't know what the number is. Yeah, you don't know, but neither does your IT team know. Well, how likely is it that you're going to have a cyber attack? Is it one a year, one in 10 years, one in five years? What's the impact? Is it 500,000 or 10 million? How much ransom are they going to hold you for? You don't know, but they're going to come up as a number. And the food safety people don't because they're the introverted scientists that don't want to be wrong. We got to put, you know, the best estimate is what we need to put forward and then we can discuss it. As long as we don't have those dollar signs, you know, we're not going to get appropriate resources as food safety professionals. And as long as the CEO does not demand those numbers, we will not be able to manage the risk with the resources it deserves. All right. That's a great point, Professor. As a follow-up, how tailored should a food safety program be? And how much variation is there between different product types? There's considerable and, and we difference between not just product types. And, and we can go to the extremes. Think about fresh produce that's harvested on a field and ends up in your plate without anything in between that you know, really eliminates, controls risks very well versus a canned product where you take the same vegetables and put them in a can and cook the crap out of it, essentially, and therefore kill anything that's there. Completely different. So huge differences, right, in food safety systems there. But even more than that, even the same product, you know, the same, let's say, fish harvested in Chile that ends up in your table as smoked seafood. Maybe one of the plants that processes that product was built two years ago, brand new, designed with food safety in mind, has three Cornell PhDs, running that that group and they exist not joking versus another one that's in a hundred year old building that everyone's worked there's worked there for 50 years extremely experienced but just not quite the same sort of skill sets with regard to let's say it technology modern technology even that will require differences in terms of you know how much testing you need to do what you do so and i think that's one of the why people get sort of worried about it's like well it's different there isn't like a standard okay you're going to install you know, let's compare it to IT again. You install these, these, these softwares and this firewall and Microsoft. And if you have it and you manage it properly, it will be done. And every computer is the same. It's a lot more varied and you rely a lot more on, on sort of scientific expertise to pick the right one. And how do you know you pick the right interventions? Again, the tools are getting better, but it has to be um, 
pretty pretty fine tuned for individual facilities and supply chains. Got it. And you sort of touched upon this in in your last uh, answer, but are there any specific products or industries you feel are at more at risk of food safety issues when compared to the others? Yeah, and I mean, let's start out with it's any product that's that's raw comes from a field or farm and does not undergo any sort of heat treatment or so to really reduce microbial food safety risk. Essentially, all the microbes we've worried about, you know, heat kills them pretty effectively. So fresh produce, fresh fruit and produce is obviously high risk. There's going to be a difference in risks. And again, it passes the common sense that if I have an apple that grows on a tree, you know, probably less risky than if I have something that grows on the ground close to earth, close to soil, et cetera. So fresh produce is, is obviously, you know, from a, from a business perspective, food safety is going to be very high on my enterprise price risk right there. Um, other products that are fresh, raw, you know, raw meat, raw meat and poultry, while there we rely on the consumer or the restaurant to perform the cooking, but, you know, you really trust all, you know, 330 million people out there to cook their, their burgers correctly. You know, that's a, it's not quite as standardized, not quite as great a barrier as doing it in a highly controlled factory. So meat and poultry, raw meat and poultry, high risk too. Then you have what I would consider the more niche products, which we don't even think necessarily that they're raw. Um, cold smoked seafood is actually your, your favorite smoked salmon. is actually cold smoked. So it doesn't have a heat treatment. That's also falls into somewhat higher risk categories. So those would be the big ones. Then there are other risk factors. It's products that are consumed by people that are very susceptible to disease. Think infant formula. Think foods that are targeted maybe towards immunocompromised people. Maybe recovery that's towards people that, that came out of chemotherapy, et cetera. So, so that's another thing to keep in mind. It's not just the food itself, but it's also the consumer can make that a much higher risk. Right? If you think, again, infant formula, the risk of an infant getting sick from you know, infant formula is extremely small because there's so many food safety practices in place. But the enterprise risk, because if uh, you make one or two infants sick, I mean, your brand name is shot, right, essentially. And so, so there, there, there will end up high in the enterprise risk, but because of your consumer more so than because of the inherent characteristics of the product or the supply chain. Great. And, and as a last question to this series of questions, you know, in a recent article, you recently spoke about the difference between simulation and the mock trace approach. And I think it's, this is such an important point. Um, can you explain to our audience what's the difference between a simulation and a mock trace approach towards food safety and why a simulation is a much better um, approach to, to tackling food safety issues? All right. So here's the typical what you know, the mock approach I see is a mock recall. Most people say, if I go and say, hey, you're testing your food safety system. Oh, yeah, we're doing mock recalls. You're required. We do it once a year. And so what is a mock recall? It's usually said, hey. You know, your salt supplier found salmonella in the salt. You need to recall any product that salt went into it. And then they, they're ready. They know the drill, right? They're ready to say, oh, it's this, this, this lot. We have the lot numbers. We're going to call up these warehouses, these consumers, and we can recall it. And, you know, one day we recovered all product and it works. It essentially works every time. That's your classical mark recall. Can you use it to assess your enterprise risk? No. You're identifying your real weaknesses in the system? Sometimes. Okay. 
Now let's do what I call, and I've done this with some companies, what I would call more of a um, simulation. I'll give you very specific. So one company hired me and said, hey, let's, let's play this out. Let's simulate what would happen if we had an issue. So I show up at the door of their biggest facility, say, Martin Wiedemann, Cornell University, here's my ID. Your management um, hired me to pretend this is an FDA recall. Um, you can call them. Here's the person you can call to, to, to verify this. As of now, I'm enrolled. You are to assume I'm the FDA. So here's what happened. We're the FDA. We tested one of your finished product in the marketplace. It was positive for Listeria monocytogenes. I'm here to follow up. Ten minutes later, CFO shows up. Head food safety person shows up. The CFO is solely there to sort of see what's happening and be able to assess the financial impact, okay? Because I'm about to take 100 samples in their facility, shutting down their facility, potentially tracing it back to some ingredient that is used in other facilities and everything else. And, and he or she is just there to do this. So in the meantime, I'm spending a day there to basically being FDA, being my worst German that you can get, being like, do this, this, that, right? And that, that's what happened there. And, and it, it's really very insightful for this company. It's very insightful for the CFO because he's starting or she's starting to add up the numbers here. And then we can start to assess what our enterprise risk is. And it's not me saying, hey, food safety, you know, average recall of $15 million. It's your own CFO who sits there and figures it out. I'm not telling them what the dollar figures are. The food safety person isn't. That's a test that you can use to figure out where your food, where food safety should be in your ERM and figure out where the, the weaknesses of the system are. Huge difference, right? Yeah, massive difference. And I think something that our listeners could probably benefit from, Professor, would be a case study of sorts on not taking a food safety program seriously. So do you have any stories you could share? You don't have to share a company name, but you know some of your experiences that might showcase you know, the downfall of not taking this seriously as part of, a part of your ERM program. Right. So there's, you know, there's, there's various levels of not taking it seriously. And starting with sort of an example where we can use the company name because it's very much in the public domain and then more with an anonymized example. So the examples in the public domain think PCA, Peanut Corporation of America, right? So we all heard about the huge recall, many, many other industries affected, you know, um, prison sentences at the end, if I'm not totally mistaken. And this is one that really wasn't taken serious, right? Yeah, there were problems in the facility. They were consistently ignored. When you had a positive test for salmonella in your product, the answer is they run another test. Maybe the second one is negative. And that's not how it works because the salmonella, it's, maybe it's one out of 10 packages is positive. That's a huge problem. You know, if I were positive and the second one is negative, the first one was still positive. I still had product that was positive. So everything that can go wrong went wrong. You know, CEO did not buy in and that had massive costs. So that's the worst case scenario. Most companies, very few companies are like this. Now let's do the anonymized more sort of example that more listeners might be able to sort of relate to. Let's say, you know, you're a medium-sized company. You have some older facilities, some newer facilities. You're chugging along, you just be successful, you're selling to Walmart, right? Walmart becomes one of your big customers. And now, you know, the, the requirements, the specifications go up. You know, Walmart say, you know, you need to do this testing, you need to do that testing, and, and you have more audits. And suddenly some tests find a pathogen, disease-causing bacterium, let's say in your environment, 
And then you have that record and then Walmart pushes you more to do more things or your customers pushes you to do more things and you discover another problem. And, and, and sooner or later you start to discover that some of your practices weren't consistently implemented. You know, the fact that you had to cut you know, some sanitation crew during COVID because you had to reassign them and never refill the position is coming to bite you. And, and sooner or later, you know, Walmart says, you know, you really have to do some finished product testing. And suddenly you test finished product and you find a positive. Now that goes into the food registries. So you need to report this to FDA. Now FDA is going to come visit your plant. They will sample your environment to find something, some listeria, the DNA fingerprinted, they put it in a database, and it goes downhill from there. And this can various permutation. Maybe FDA doesn't come in. Maybe you never test the food positive. Maybe you just have positives in the environment. But an FDA inspector could come in and see, hey, you have a multiple positives, and you end up with a visit from FDA. And you know, Walmart, you might lose Walmart as a customer because they're like not that sure anymore. You might not just lose them for the product from one facility, but at some point they might decide, you know, it just doesn't seem like your company's taking food safety serious. You know. They don't have food, you don't have food safety culture. Food safety culture as a concept was really popularized in the US, particularly by Frank Yannis, now with FDA, formerly, you know, Walmart. Walmart still is very strong on food safety, as are many other companies. They expect their, you know, suppliers to follow food safety culture. They're, if they don't see food safety culture, they get nervous. So does FDA. So that's what more happens. And then you might not go out of business, but you might lose a big customer. You might use them temporarily. You might have to invest that much more money in testing that cuts into your bottom line. You know? So you can see various levels of enterprise risk, everything from a facility being shut down to losing your biggest customer, sometimes even without a recall. So that's more sort of what, what we typically see and where we typically get involved. So Professor, you know, we have a jump here from the largest companies down to middle companies. So how rare are scenarios like this that you're kind of talking about? And, you know, should a food company kind of look at these food safety issues as inevitable and, you know, should be a part of their risk management? Is that kind of what you're proposing here? Yes, they're inevitable. The question is in your time frame, right? This is always, and so the problem is food safety is, is to illustrate, you can never go to zero risk, right? So I always say, hey, so, you know, how, how much risk do you want? And most, do, are you okay if, for one recall a year? And then see, okay, no, that's, that's too much. No, I can't, you can't have one. How about one every 10 years? I say, no. I say, well, then what is it? And you should say, well, let's not have a recall while I'm CEO, right? I say, okay, you're 50 years old. How long you got your job? 20 years? Okay. Your risk tolerance is one, in, one recall in 20 years, okay? That's what you just told me if you say not in my career. Now, if we, we can then assess the cost. Cost is, let's say, 20 million. 120 million recall every 20 years, that's still a million a year, right? Simple, simple arithmetics there. So, so it is inevitable. It will happen at some, maybe not inevitable, but it will happen at some point. The question is just when. And that's the difference between you know, top companies and the ones lower down is what is the likelihood of that recall? And, and that's, that's what we really need to put. So yes, so it is inevitable. It needs to be part of the risk management, but your ERM, but how frequently it's happened, how likely it will happen, and the total cost impact will determine how high it is on your ERM. If it's going to happen once every 100 years is your best estimate, and the cost is $500,000, well, probably is not going to 
end up in your ERM at any level where it's managed. If the cost is $20 million of your average recall, and with a range anywhere from five to 100, and you say the chance is about one in 15 years, then it's better high up on your, your ERM because of that. Yeah. Great. No, no, I, no, I think your, your point to, is, is very salient. Like I think most companies start to think about food safety after the fact, after the event has, uh, has happened. And, and so that kind of segues into to this next question. Um, a lot of your work, you talk about the importance of developing a food safety culture within, within businesses. How does a company establish a food safety culture, especially when this part of the business is competing with marketing, production, and other departments or, for resources? And obviously, the CEO, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, has to be involved. They have to understand the, the dollars. Uh, but what's, what's the step? So if I'm a company today and I, you know, and I want, I want to, to develop a food safety program, what are some of some practical steps that I can do to help you know, establish that sort of culture? Right. So, so if you want to establish a food safety culture, you know, some of my colleagues in the field say everyone has a food safety culture. The question is just, you know, just everyone has a food culture. My food culture might all be, you know, hamburgers at McDonald's and mine might be all fine French dining. I have a culture. It's just what sort of culture is it? So I think the first thing is you just sort of map out where you are, right? What is your, what is your culture? Identify the status quo. And, and then map out where you want to go. You know, I think that's the important thing. And you may not want to be, you know, top of the line on everything. So I'm going to say, hey, here we, we're okay not being best of class, but being middle ground. So I think that's, that's the first thing is to really map out where you are and, and map out where you want to go and where you want to be. And then it's all, all about implementation. And I think to your point, I think it's very important that it comes from the top. The one, the one story I always like to share is, you know, a very good assessment of food safety culture is always when you go to a food safety meeting at a company, let's say reasonably high level, important for them. And, and usually there's a couple of scenarios what happens with the CEO. The CEO comes in, introduction, you know, food safety is really important for us because our brand reputation is very important and we all very supportive of what you're doing. Great work, you know, keep it up and out they are. They, they leave the room because they have something more important to do. Now, when that same conversation happens about, let's say, earnings, something else, the CEO is there, the whole, you know, beginning to end or of the whole conversation. So if the CEO doesn't stay in these food safety meetings beginning to end, but other sectors get his or her full attention for a longer time, then, then it's a pretty clear sign of what the, what the food safety culture is. So I think that's an important one that, that helps you first assess where you are and where you need to start. You know, sometimes there are the rare exceptions where you have a very um, charismatic food safety leader in your team, and that leader can almost like force your CEO into it. But at the end, it, it, it always begins and ends with the CEO. Right. So maybe, so maybe the, the, the correct, or not, I wouldn't say correct, but the right impl implementation is really bringing food safety up to the leaders of the company on a regular basis and quantifying it on a, with a dollar impact so that that sort of, you know, mentality and attitude is somewhat, you know, incorporated within the, within the actual C-suite um, right. staff. So got it. Yeah. Um, and what and, we're doing actually to, to jump in, what we're doing there is we're actually working with some companies to try to develop it. Say, okay, you got 20 facilities, 
Here's some of their food safety metrics. Let's transfer it, confirm it, and put it into dollar signs, and you can have a, you know, a spreadsheet or a um, where you sh you can see, and it it can change. It will change from time over time depending on what what your metrics is. Here's my risk in dollars for this facility, and and I think that's important. And then give visibility of that at a board meeting, even if it's just ten minutes, saying, "Hey, here's our current numbers for the different facilities. Here's the risk." expressed in dollar signs. Okay. And to bring a, a very specific example and a follow-up question, you know, cyber attacks and, and the like often compete for resources and may be seen as a, as a bigger risk. So how would you respond to someone who thinks along these lines? I'd say, show me the numbers. Yeah, it's, it's, maybe it is. I don't know. It's your business. Show me the numbers. And, and part of it is the intangible. Too. Like, how much is your brand name worth, right? I mean, I, I don't know. And so I think that's the... Don't just say it, it's more or it's less. Even if someone says, well, food safety is more important than cyber, I would say, show me the numbers. I think that's the really important thing is let's let's try to make it a little bit more rational. We all know there are going to be assumptions in there, right? My the value of my brand name, you know, how do you how do you quantify it? I think you can probably, but it's not an accurate science, I would say. Yeah. What's the cost of a recall gonna be? You know, I don't know, but there's a high and a low, and there's a median, and I can estimated. So I think both of them, all of the enterprise groups should be held to the same standard. Show me the numbers. What's the likelihood? What's the financial impact? Let's do the math and then compare it. And food safety will come out where it comes out and it will find its right place as long as the numbers are good. All right. I think that kind of brings us towards the end of today's conversation. So I want to thank Professor Weedman for joining us and giving us his insights. Uh, if anyone in our audience wants to learn more about food safety and ERM, what kind of resources would you refer them to? Yeah, it's interesting. There actually isn't that much out there. Maybe just listen to this podcast again so you, <laughs> you catch what you missed. But yeah, I've, I, work, I worked with a colleague of mine to, to write a couple of articles. I actually reached out to, to even our Cornell executive um, training process. They said something about ERM and food safety, and there's really not, not much out there. So I think, you know, there are training session about ERM, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done. So there are two articles we published. Again, if you just look for, search for ERM and my name in Google, then you probably, you'll find the two of them. And if you can, just, yeah, find me and send me an email and I'll send you those articles. All right, excellent. So we'll share actually links to those articles in the description of this episode. And we'll also uh, put your email in there if anyone wants to reach out. But I think that brings us to the end of today's session. So remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership can do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Mm -hmm.